love to have you take your Bibles, all of us together, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 2, where we are going to visit uh, the text that we just saw presented to us on stage. And uh, I have on your study notes there uh, a reminder of the four segments that we are working our way through this Advent season, part of our seven-year Advent preaching plan and drama plan, as you know. And these four sermons, two that we are now done with today and then next week, uh, I enjoy each of them in its own way, but I, I want to tell you ahead of time that the things we're going to consider today have a special place in my heart. If I were to say of these four, which is my favorite, of course, it's next week, so you should come next week. But secretly, it would be today. And some of those things are easy to communicate and some things are not. But this business of God visiting us with tender mercies, the tender mercies of God. And as well, we will comment on the severe mercies of God. Two words that you would not think would belong together, but they do. And I am confident that as we work our way through the text today and look at the very personal elements involved, that you will find yourself thinking about God's tender mercies to you. And some of you in particular will be thinking about God's severe mercies that you carry as well before the Lord. So a lot of things for us to think about today. Grateful that you're here, and I'm just trusting the Spirit of God to help us as we come to his word. And with that, I'd love to pray for us, and let's come to God's word. Our Father, we come to the word of God with great dependence on the Spirit of God to point us today to the Son of God as we remember this first coming of Jesus And I am so thankful that the Bible tells us the story of redemption. You're redeeming us. Your plan to bring great glory to yourself by calling men and women, boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, calling them your own. Paying for our sin and our shame because of Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead. And I pray, our Father, today that Christ, the Christ of the gospel, would be lifted up and honored and exalted and made very real to all of us. Uh, Maybe even today, some of us taking steps of faith closer to or crossing that line of faith even for the first time. Our Father, we invite your your help now. In Jesus' name, amen. The section on your sermon notes called Today's Text. I'd love to have you look at that with me for a moment. Uh, It draws you, I hope, to remember moments in your life when you have watched the dawn. Some of you have had occasion to be up all night. Maybe you have been driving to a place of vacation that you can hardly wait getting to, and so you're driving and driving and driving and hoping to survive the hours of the night, and finally you see that pink in the eastern sky, and you know you made it. Well, at least that far. Others of you have had other reasons to be up at night, sometimes waiting and watching a sick bed, maybe waiting for death to come to a loved one. And the the hint of pink in the sky carries a different message. It says, I made it through another night. What will the day hold? What will the day hold? But that, that 
that picture given to us by Zechariah himself, uh, I just would love to have be a backdrop to your thoughts and your heart today. The, the, the promise of another day to come. The faithful, I say here, whose eyes are longing for the sunrise, their hearts longing for a merciful visit from God, uh, breathe a long-awaited sigh of thanksgiving and praise. So that is a, a backdrop, I think, a picturesque way of thinking about where we're going today. Uh, the sermon notes that I hope you have in front of you, um, available online, of course, if you're with us remotely. Uh, there are three different movements that I want to consider. Uh, if you look with me at Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, actually, I think I said 2, uh, the, the portion uh, from verse 57 to 66 uh, we saw portrayed on stage, and as an intro to the sermon, we'll just let that stand, that uh, wonderful moment where uh, the child is named, John the Baptist, of course, the baptizer. But I want to move right to the song of Zechariah, and that's where we'll stay today. It is so good of God to have preserved this for us, for all these generations to, to, to benefit from. But I want to read then verses 67 through 79 and then, with, and then reflect with you uh, with three headings. And I'll, just to tell you ahead of time, the first and the third will be a little shorter. And the middle one is the place I really want to slow down and, and drill down deep with all of us and, my, and myself as well. Let's hear the word of God then. Again, this portion we've heard already today, I know. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And of course, you heard that masterfully presented by Jordan uh, and then also in song, a song that, as you perhaps know, was an original number from Colin Eli seven years ago. Uh, and if you were here then, you heard it, remember it, and if you've come since, um, Colin, thank you for bringing us that song. The mercy of God is mentioned twice in it. The mercy of God. Tender mercies is said once. The mercy of God. Now, part of this song is, is Zechariah remembering That fits with his name, doesn't it? God remembers, the Lord remembers. And so he is remembering in his song of praise. My first element here then in front of you, God was merciful to Abraham and to David. Now, Zechariah refers to these in reverse order, at least chronologically. I have written them down in, in chronological order, Abraham and then David. 
But Zechariah mentions David first in Psalm or in verse 69, and then Abraham down in verse 73. But noting God having kept his promises. Now, interesting here, as you know, we're doing this, uh, this rotation of seven years, capturing high points in the story of redemption. These are two of the, of the seven. Uh, Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant. So we're familiar with these. If you've been with us for those preaching series, if not stick around a while, we'll cycle back. You'll hear them eventually. But I, I want to take a moment because theologically, these are so substantive in our understanding of the, of the whole plan of God for redemption from Genesis through the end of the Bible. You've heard me say multiple times, hopefully, uh, that the Bible is one big story. There is what theologians call a meta-narrative. There's a, there's a big picture, and it's God telling the story of redemption. The Bible isn't just a whole bunch of stories thrown together like some encyclopedia. You're like, well, what story should we read today? Well, sure, there are stories. But there's a big story, God telling a story of people that he created who fell away because of sin, and, and then God planning salvation all the way along from beginning before the foundation of the world and m- giving promises, and then the right time, and, and so on. So there's a story to be told, but I want to go back then to Genesis. You can join me or not as you wish. Um, we'll be just a few minutes visiting these texts. You should be familiar with these to make sense of your Bible, okay? So in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, this is what you would call perhaps the first telling of the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, Abram uh, called that at this point, name not yet changed to Abraham, but we read then in Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3, and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Promises of God that he kept, and may I say, keeps today. Uh, Three parts really are subsumed here. Land, descendants, blessing. Land, seed, blessings is the way uh, theologians often speak of uh, the, the, the content of God's promises to Abraham. Now, I'm going to shift to chapter 15, which is another telling of the story, another telling of the Abrahamic covenant. Some years have gone by, of course, in the intervening time, and God again meets with Abram, still so named, in a vision. And this is the place where in verse 5, he takes him outside and says, look toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to count them. And then he says, so shall your descendants be. Can you imagine saying that to a fatherless man? So shall your descendants be. And then you have verse six, where it says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the text, of course, if you read New Testament, Romans chapter four, that Paul is making a a point of. He's using this text to say, from all times and all places, anybody who's ever been right with God has been made right with God by grace through faith in the promises of God. So this is, re- is repeated, uh, Genesis fifteen six in, in the book of Romans. Abraham believed God, and his faith was counted for righteousness. Fantastic. Now, I want to, I want to then go to the Davidic covenant, Old Testament again, 2 Samuel 7. Again, we spent weeks... Uh, on this last year, and I'll not cover it in its entirety, but just a couple of things. 
Uh, David, of course, is sitting before the Lord. God meets him there and uh, has, has this list of promises to be made through Nathan the prophet to the king, King David. And God is making amazing promises, some of which will be uh, immediately fulfilled in, the, in, in Solomon, David's son, but they look beyond. Those promises look beyond. For example, uh, verse 12, uh, God says to David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What is it? Forever. Can you imagine? The first part you could say, well, that's Solomon, a, a king, and he'll follow me. Yes, forever? Really? How does that work? Verse 16, and your house, David, <clears throat> and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David, someone will sit on your throne, a forever king. How is this possible? Human kings live and die, rise and fall. David rightly sat before the Lord and said, Oh God, this is bigger than me. And that's what picks up at verse 18. And if you glance down then toward verse uh, 19, David says, You've spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Forever is a, a great while to come. And he says, This is instruction for mankind, O Lord God. Now, depending on where you develop your Old Testament theology, Dr. Walter Kaiser has written extensively on this text along with some others and sees here uh, a way that he would prefer to translate the, the Hebrew here in verse 19. This is a, this is a mandate. This is a, um, a charter, Kaiser would say, a charter for mankind. He sees here God's plan for the ages. Kaiser calls it the promise plan of God. And then in his Old Testament theology books, he, he traces that promise through the prophets and into the New Testament, you read the book of Romans, you see things about the promise showing up a lot. And that would seem to begin, uh, and this with David at least, right here. This is your charter for mankind. And then I want to go to one more text. So important that you see these things. Part of your biblical theology, Old Testament theology, New Testament theology, helping you read and understand the Bible as a unit. That's always one of our goals in preaching here, is to better equip you for your own study of the Bible. In Galatians 3, then, as Paul is talking about the gospel, he makes this statement, drawing a line, a direct line, back to Genesis 12.3 that we just read. It's very interesting. So the Apostle Paul, who, who knows what we just read, he says then in verse 8, and the scripture, it's what he calls Genesis, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Look at this. He preached the gospel beforehand. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Where's that at? Well, it's Genesis 12, 3. And Paul calls that the gospel. So the proto-gospel, some would call it, uh, uh, a seminal form of the gospel. He preached the gospel. So in other words, when God said to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed, Abraham heard blessing and thought, well, wonderful, let's go with that. And in the mind and heart of God at that very moment, God was thinking Messiah Jesus. You see, all the time, God knew. And Paul here then calls that the gospel, preaching the gospel. He says, Genesis 12, 3, it's the gospel in the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? 
Those are just things that you should have in mind so that as you read the Bible, these, these great themes and threads come together, and not just for your information, but that your heart would say, thank you, Lord. You can orchestrate salvation through all of these centuries and make it happen in the coming of Jesus. Absolutely amazing. So when your sermon notes said, God kept his promises to both Abraham and to David, God sent Christ as a horn of salvation. And I'm referring there to Zechariah's words. Uh, He mentions that in verse 69. He's raised up a horn of salvation. Of course, he doesn't mean here like a trumpet. Uh, Horn is a familiar Old Testament term that speaks of power, which is why I put here in front of you, God sent a mighty savior. God sent a mighty savior. That, I think, is what's What's in, 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 uh, in the text, the idea behind it? He raised up a horn of salvation, a mighty, a mighty sal- salvation in, in the person of Jesus. So God was merciful to Abraham and David. Now, the next section here. I'd like you to reflect deeply with me here. God was merciful to John the baptizer and to his parents. And if you know anything about John's life and his parents, that statement should give you pause. God was merciful to John? Really? Huh. Well, to start with his parents, I've given you a list of texts here that we will, uh, we will visit several of these. So the mercy of God. So enter into the mystery here, please. Um, you go back to Luke 1, the early verses, where as we're introduced, as we were a couple weeks ago, to Zechariah and Elizabeth, You read this in verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Uh, Waiting for a child is something some of you have done and you know the heartbreak of that. Others of you have not walked that road But I promise you, if you've lived long enough, if you pay attention to what's going on in your life, there have been other other things that have given you pause before God. Other things that you've waited for. Other things that you've for which you have assaulted the gates of heaven. Oh God, would you fix, change, bring. Oh God, there are these longings in me. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, there's a longing. There's a long unfulfilled longing. And years have gone by, and there has been no answer. And you, you, most of, I, I, very quickly, most of us would, would be able to identify something there. A burden, a sorrow, a longing, maybe things that you share and others know. Maybe everybody knows who knows you. Maybe nobody knows. Those things you carry before the Lord, mercy, mercy. Mercy. Now you look at verse 13. You find this interaction of Zechariah with the angel. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Which prayer is that? I, I, I suspect from the context, it's that same prayer for all the years. He hasn't quit praying. He's still saying, Lord, what about that? Your prayer has been heard. Now, I I want, if I could just rivet a sentence or two into your soul today. This next sentence on your study notes is is one that I would just send with you, mark it, 
uh, underline it, memorize it. Seasons of waiting do not indicate God's absence. Can you wrap your head around that, please? Seasons of waiting, dare I say silence, do not indicate God's absence. We may feel that way. How many times have you or I said, God, did you hear me? (laughs) And I just want you to know, we'll underscore this because we're going to spend a few minutes here. Seasons of waiting do not indicate God's absence. Seasons of silence do not indicate that he is, he is distant from you, that he does not see or that he does not care. As I, I'm going to suggest in this text, I think this season of waiting is a mercy. Granted, a severe mercy, but a mercy nonetheless that they don't see, can't, can't see. It's a mercy. Well, I go to that next little bullet point. As the angel tells Zechariah and Elizabeth, your wife's going to bear a child. You're going to call his name John. You're going to have, what is it? Joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. You're going to have joy and gladness. God gave joy in old age like Abraham and Sarah. And I I pause here to reflect with you, Old Testament, the analogy, of course, to Abraham and Sarah. Uh, God first made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that they'd have a son when Abraham was 75 and Sarah was 65. How long was it until God kept his promise? 25 years. (laughs) How's that for waiting before the Lord? For us, it's about, oh, I don't know, five minutes. We're going about the time you make a bag of popcorn. Well, that seemed long enough. Um, we might say to God, certainly not seriously. But then what if it's six months or six years or longer? How quickly we say, well, God, I mean, is there a God? I've been praying for years. 25 for Abraham and Sarah. And now think with me. Um, Abraham's 100, Sarah's 90. God gives a son. His name is Isaac. Right, Yitzhak. Yitzhak means laughter. Now, laughter can come in different ways, can't it? It can mean something different. And in the story of Abraham and Sarah and Yitzhak, laughter, it does show up in different ways. One of the moments when God's saying, your wife's going to have a baby, you remember Sarah overhears this in the tent. She's got her ear to the wall, the tent, I suspect, to these visitors. And Sarah laughs. And the angel of the Lord says, why did your wife laugh? Sarah says, whoa, (laughs) clearing my throat, not laughing at all. And he says, ah, but she did laugh. So there's a laughter that says, oh boy, I don't know if I believe, I mean, come on. Abraham at one point laughed earlier. And laughter's not always a sign of faith. But there's also another laughter. Yitzhak, finally, the child in their arms. And that moment when they, I suspect, looked at each other and laughed. Who'd believe it? You know, 90-year-old Sarah, 100-year-old Abraham. I mean, seriously. I mean, who's, who's going to get the kid out of the, the, the pack and play? It's a long way down if you're 100. You want to get him? No, I can't get that far. Who's playing shoots and ladders with this kid on the 10th floor? 
I mean, oh my goodness sakes, you want to go down there? No, getting back up. I mean, they may have been a little younger, a little more spry, but 100 is still 100 and 90 is still 90. A laughter that says, can you believe we're here? Can you believe it? A laughter that's pure joy. A laughter that says, <laughs> wow. Sometimes it, you, you laugh that way. Maybe it's a, a buying of a house or arrival of a child or a ring on a finger or something. Moment of laughter. Wow. Well, God gave Zechariah and Elizabeth such joy. Now, go with me to these next couple of, of bullet points here, please. And, and think deeply. God had a special reason for giving John to older parents. Do you believe that? Did the waiting, come on, did the waiting have purpose? Yes. How do you know that? Do you know the purpose? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to feel that angst with you of an unidentified purpose, and then I'm going to enter into some holy conjecture, which means don't bet on it in Vegas, but it's, an, it's a possible interpretation, all right? It's just a thought. That's all it is. I'm not saying it comes from the Bible. I try to identify stuff from the Bible and stuff that I just wonder so that you don't think that what Jay wonders is gospel truth. No, I'm just going to wonder with you. God had a special purpose. I say that for a couple of things. The weight had purpose, like an exclamation mark. It wasn't random. I say that in part because of the theology of the Bible. What does the Bible teach about God? And if you study what God is like in the Bible, you will find he is not a random God. He's not a purposeless God. You do not find in the Bible any moment where God looks down from heaven and says, huh, who knew that? Hey, would you look at that? Wow. Kid, there's a kid born. Never, there's never a moment where, where, where something happens and God says, oh, that, mm, whoa, how'd that, how'd that get by me? No, no, no. I, I am admitting mystery here. I'm calling you to embrace it. But God, how, God, why, and how does that fit? Uh, I'm, I'm not suggesting that I know all the answers. But I'm saying that the message of the Bible about what God is like, Isaiah 40 and texts following would be places for you to go if you wonder. He holds the world in the palm of his hand, calls the stars by name, guides the movement of all the planets, of which there are billions, makes no mistakes. Now, a moment of conjecture, I, I, again, I, I can't prove this, but I wonder it. The waiting the years of angst. Why, why give a child to older parents? Sometimes when a child comes to older parents, people say out loud or they say in the privacy of their home or in their car on their way home from church. Um, they're going to miss out on some key things. If life goes like normal, they might not live to see grandkids or be around very long for grandkids. Think of the, think of the things they're going to miss out on. I, uh, my back, background is, is growing up, of course, my parents got married older rather than younger, and then had six kids. And um, I was number five, so my dad was in his 40s when I was born, and, of course, 60s when I graduated high school. Um, and, of course, died before any of our kids were married. Yeah. So you, you, people wonder such things. What do you know of John's life? 
Was there going to be a white a little house with white picket fence and little kids with bare feet running around that Zechariah and Elizabeth were going to miss out on? And who knew that? Only God. Only God. To read the story of John, the baptizer, of course, I give you there one telling of it is Mark 6. I have it in the parenthesis. Mark 6, of course, he was to grow up as a wild man, a reclusive type guy. He's your, he's your son, and he's kind of this crazy man. He's running around, he's a crazy preacher, he's wearing uh, you know, odd clothes, um, eating, eating you know, locusts and wild honey, gets thrown in prison, languishing in an awful... This was not a prison where they deliver pizza and you get a college degree, you understand. Um, no, 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 this is a hellhole dungeon. That's where he was. That's where he spends his latter days. He doesn't know it's his last days. He knows he's in jail. Going to get out of here and keep preaching, right? And one day the cell door opens and it's a guy with a sword. He says, come here. And he whacks his head off. Merry Christmas. And so ends the life of John the baptizer. A capricious act of a crazy leader. Spurred on by a young lady who danced a dance she should have been embarrassed of prompted by her mother to say, give me the head of John the baptizer, John the Baptist. And so then he lost. That's it. That was the end. Where were his parents? This is my conjecture. I wonder. It's all I can do. I wonder if in those years of about 30 years, from John being born to John having his head cut off, I wonder if his parents finished their race. They were older. Maybe it was a mercy of God that they didn't see their son grow up and lose his head in jail. Maybe there was a mercy of God. Could it be? Could it be that the tender mercy of God looked like a severe mercy at the time? Zechariah and Elizabeth, you've run well. Come home. Come home. I wonder that. You might disagree. That's okay. You can have your own conjecture, but that's Jay's. Okay? Because I believe in a God of tender mercy who has reason I don't know all of your hurts. I don't. But I hold steadfastly to the God of the Bible who is clearly taught as one who sees and who knows and is not random and purposeless. See? What is that purpose? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I believe that God knows. The tender mercy of our God. I go to that next little section here, fourth bullet point. God gave John an immense privilege. He did. And I want, to, I want to read it. I do. This, is, this was Old Testament for John the baptizer. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Isaiah 40, even as uh, the prophet Isaiah is shifting from a tone of judgment in the first 39 chapters to uh, a tone of peace and reconciliation and hope in chapter 40. Here is, here is the old, one of the Old Testament texts about John the baptizer. As God says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Here's John. A voice crying. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And then as the Old Testament closes, Malachi chapter 4. 
the last gasp of Old Testament revelation before 400 years of silence. It's about John, the baptizer. As Malachi says from the hand of God, behold, I will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a curse or a decree of utter destruction. God's plan for John the baptizer. I will send Elijah the prophet. Now, I, I just, again, this is a bigger issue than I can fully explore with you today. But that fourth bullet point, I mentioned that John had an immense privilege from the hand of God to be the forerunner of the Messiah, Messiah Jesus. And I'm just, I, I just am asking this of you parents. Could, could, do you think about this? What do you want and I'm using the terms decidedly, the most. What do you want the most for your kids? Is it really all about the best college, a high-paying career, at least six figures, great life? Is, is that really it? Big house, nice stuff? Is that, is that really it that you want for your kids? I hope my kids grow up and do well. Is that what John the Baptist's parents would have said? There's going to be a reclusive guy living in the desert getting his head cut off young and serving the purpose of God. What is it you want the most? And what are you, pre- what are you best preparing your kids for? I, 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 I think about these things periodically. What if God gave one of your kids an assignment that you knew would be significant and painful? What about that? What if God charted a path for your children that involved a lot of hurt? Would you trust him anyway? Some of you know exactly this road and have had to struggle with that. Do I trust him anyway? After all, I mean, it shouldn't be like this. I, I dare to dig a little deeper here by reading you a proposal letter. I think, really? Okay, no, seriously. Some of you know the story of Anna Nairam and Anne Judson, missionaries to Burma or Myanmar, as we would call it today. Um, their story bears a longer telling may I say, uh, Adoniram was young. They were both young. He'd had an interesting journey of faith, growing up in a household of faith and away from God and then back. And uh, interesting, interesting uh, journey that God used to, 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 to head him to a career of missions. But dads, this is the letter that Adoniram wrote uh, to young Anne Hazeltine when he was going to ask her dad for permission to marry her. This is it. He said, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, the fatal, the fatal influence of the southern climate of India. They thought they were going to India. They didn't. Ended up in Burma. Uh, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this? For the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise that shall redound to her Savior from people saved through her means from eternal woe and despair? And her dad said, 
Actually, her dad said, I can't answer that. Ask her. (laughs) She said yes. Married Adoniram, 12 days after their wedding, they're on a boat heading around the world. And indeed, her family will never see her again in this life. Now, I don't tell their story to say, and we should all be exactly like that in its detail. But, but my point is this. At that moment, no one would have known, Adoniram and, and Anne or her parents, nobody would know the bigger plan of God. They wouldn't see, nor do you. Nor do you see, nor do I. I, I don't know. If I had time, there's more stories I would tell about that things that I am in the process of sorting through even now. Lord, how does this fit? And did you take that away to give this? <sighs> mm. Could it be? Well, I think about these things. The mercy of God to John the baptizer and giving him an amazing privilege that would be painful. The mercy of God to Zechariah and Elizabeth in making them wait all those years, my conjecture, so that they would not have to see that. Was that it? Mercy, mercy. Third uh, element is you turn the page. God merciful, yes, not only to Abraham and David, to John the baptizer and to his parents, but God is merciful to me. He is, he's merciful to me, he's merciful to you. I put it in the first person so that you'll do the same. God is merciful to me, he is. God knows what I need the most. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that thing you lack isn't because God is too stingy or doesn't notice? Do you believe that? God knows what I need the most, so he sent Jesus Christ as my savior from sin and shame. He indwells me by the Holy Spirit to sustain me in this life, and one day he will welcome me to my true home in his glorious presence. That is mercy. I look at um, Zechariah, I'm back in... uh, Luke chapter 1, as Zechariah talks to this babe in his arms, you child will be called the prophet of the Most High who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, the forgiveness of sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And he talks about the sun rising. Wow, those who sit in darkness. God sending Jesus into a dark world. You know, folks, uh, much to reflect on here as well. Um, We often talk about the dark getting darker when people look at the world and politics and all manner of things, the dark getting darker. But you know, if the sky in the the east is pink and it, it tells not only of pending darkness, but it tells of greater light yet to come, maybe the light of eternity soon to break. Um, Pink pink in in the eastern sky is not always a bad thing. It can be a sign of hope. I suggest here God continues to surround us with mercy. I reference Psalm 23, all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some reflections then. In John's birth, life, and death, there is both tender mercy and severe mercy. But I would suggest that even God's severe mercy is likewise tender if you look at the bigger picture. I would direct your attention for further study to Luke chapter 2, 33 to, well, 25 to 38, the, the story of Simeon and Anna. I love this text as well. It would bear preaching under another heading. These two faithful older people, 
who say, Lord, you can take me home now. You can take me home. I've seen your salvation. So I go to that part called responding to God's word. If you'd just glance down there with me, please. May I point you in three directions. One would be gratefulness for the tender mercies in your life right now. That you indeed recognize as tender mercies. They're gifts from God. Sometimes overshadowed because we're looking at the severe mercies. And I would urge you not to let that happen. What tender mercies do you see in your life right now? They don't always look like tender mercies, but they are. You could easily miss them in all the stress of the season and life this year. You could easily miss the tender mercies of God. Gratefulness, reflection. What severe mercies has God allowed in your life that perhaps you chafe against, maybe in silence as you struggle to understand why? Some of you quickly identify with that. Reflection. What are the severe mercies? And my one word of encouragement on that today is not to minimize or take away from those who try to easily explain what no human can easily explain. That isn't it. But simply to bring great comfort with the idea that God, who sees all, does indeed know. He knows. He knows. And he is too loving to be random, even if you don't know why. Anticipation. Indeed, we read 1 Corinthians 13. We see in a mirror darkly now, then face to face. I love Revelation 22, and I reference it there for your study. Revelation 22 is one of those looks into heaven, and there's a phrase that I, I think of often when it comes to people and hurting people. Um, Revelation 22 talks about a great day and this river flowing from the throne. It talks about trees Uh, lining this wonderful river, the source of life, water in the Bible, a source of life and of sustaining and refreshment in these trees. And it says that the the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. Ethnos, the the ethnic groups, the healing of the nations. Uh, The people. Is it about world peace? Oh, I don't know, maybe. But I, I also am often, often reminded that there are certain hurts that will fully and finally be healed only there. You know what I'm talking about, many of you. But the good news is they will be healed in that day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'd love to have you stand with me. I want to pray together. I hope you know Christ is your Savior. Hope the Savior came at Christmas is the one who you know personally, trusting today is your Savior from sin and shame. We have one more sermon in our Advent series. We'll look at God's call to the nations, Luke chapter 2 and Matthew as well. But I would love to pray for us if you'd join me in that. Our Father, you are a God of tender mercies, and I bring before you together uh, this congregation a congregation that has known many, many tender mercies from your hand and many people in this congregation who have known severe mercy as well and at this holiday time struggle to understand not only why or maybe a question nobody's asking, but what now? How do I live with these severe mercies? And this isn't one or two, this is a 
whole crowd because life is like that. Our Father, we honor you today as the God who who's the God of tender mercies who one day will meld together those severe mercies with tender mercies when we are in your home, your place, and all things are made new. And at this holiday time, we look forward to that, that second coming, not only the first indeed, thank you God, but the second as well, that time when we are home with you fully and finally and fully and finally well. Thank you, Father. We live in hope of that day, all of this because of Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week. And for all of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. So appreciate it. We'll see you here uh, very, very soon.